listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's message is a part of our sermon series, How Shall We Live? You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you. Wherever you are, know that we are united in the love of spirit of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that we had a lovely Vespers service last Sunday night. You can sign up for next week's Vespers at roswellpress.org beginning tomorrow morning. And we're asking people who have previously already worshipped at the Vespers service to wait to sign up till Tuesday. We want to make it possible that as many people as that can, can worship and experience that fellowship of community outside the historic sanctuary on Sunday nights. I do also want you to know that we're practicing physical distancing, we're wearing masks, and we're having a limited number of folks there to make it as safe as possible. Well, I know some folks have been a little unsettled by this sermon series, and that's actually been kind of intentional. I don't think there are a lot of murderers or thieves in the congregation, and if we did have them in the congregation, I doubt that a sermon would really change their uh, behavior. But what I'm trying to do is get us to think about how these commands apply to our lives and to our community in surprising ways. I want us to think about how God has created and called us and set us free. It's okay if you disagree with some of the things I say. I try to present a lot of options. I'm learning too, and I I want you to know that I intend to change my mind about a lot of things before I die. So hopefully these sermons can get you thinking, get you to think critically about who God has created and called us to be. Well, today we're going to look at the Eighth and the Ninth Commandments. Listen for the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verses 15 and 16. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. That you might teach us about your law, about your path to a flourishing life, especially when it comes to stealing and bearing false witness, Lord. Lord, in the midst of these negative commands that we might still hear that grand positive that you have for us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It must have been a cynic who said, it is not universally agreed thou shalt not steal. But everyone agrees, thou shalt not be stolen from. (laughs) There is something personal about being stolen from. If someone takes something that belongs to you, it feels like a personal violation. It's an affront to you. It's an affront to who you are as a human being. What you own is tied up with who you are. For the first five years of my life, I grew up in Yakima, Washington. There was an older woman there who worked with my dad at JCPenney's, and her name was Frankie. And every time I went in to visit my dad, she treated me like I was a movie star. She just showered me with attention. She was always interested in me, and she sometimes would even give me little presents. When I was five years old, She gave me this silver dollar that was minted in my birth year, 1978. I cherished that silver dollar. I kept it in a white box. It had red velvet. It had a little display. I loved that 1978 silver dollar. 
Well, every summer when it came to the end of the summer, we took a vacation to the Oregon coast. And we went one year, and when we returned home, we discovered that our house had been broken into. When I walked into the house, I ran to my bedroom. I opened my drawer and looked in, and it was gone. Someone had stolen my 1978 silver dollar. The only evidence we had of the thieves was a small shoe print on the table that they'd used to step on to get outside the house. And so for the next months, we would watch everybody walk by our house and look at their shoe tread. Did it match the shoe print on the table? It feels terrible to be stolen from. Now remember, we have moved in our sermon series to the second table of the law. The first table deals with our relationship with us and God, and the second table deserves or refers to our relationship with one another. We have the vertical plane and the horizontal plane. I want to highlight a feature of the Ten Commandments that I've glossed over so far. Each of the commandments are addressed to a you or a, or a thou. Thou shalt not kill or you shall not steal. So who is the you referring to? This is important to recognize. Remember in chapter 20, the Ten Commandments begin with a statement about who the author of the commandments is. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, the liberating God addresses the freed people, the people that have been freed from captivity in Egypt. But now God needs to tell them about a new way to live. You see, you can take the people out of Egypt, but then you have to get the Egypt out of the people. And so the you that God addresses is really in two senses. It's the individual you. God addresses the commands to you and you and you and you and you. But also, the you is addressed to you, or as in the South we might say, all y'all, right? It's you as a social body, as a community. It's important that I don't steal, but it's also important that we don't steal. The Eighth Commandment is you shall not steal. There are three questions I want to ask about each of the Eighth and the Ninth Commandment. First, what truth lays at the heart of this commandment? Number two, what is implied by this commandment? And number three, what's the grand positive of the commandment? Number one, what truth lays at the heart of this commandment? In preparation for this sermon series, I bought about a, a dozen books on the Ten Commandments. And one of the finest and most fun of these books to read has been Smoke on the Mountain by Joy Davidman. I've mentioned her to you before. Joy married C.S. Lewis late in life. There is a great movie about their marriage and relationship, Shadowlands. It recounts their story. And as an aside, um, the RPC book club tells me there's a new biography that's just come out about Joy. Well, in Joy's book, there's a really interesting discussion of how we should regard and understand property. Now keep in mind, Smoke on the Mountain was published in 1953, so it's a product of its time. But in discussing the Eighth Commandment, she raises both the socialist and the capitalist view of property. Then she says, both, both camps use Jesus' words to back their view of property. The socialists refer to certain biblical texts and capitalists cite others, each justifying their position with various scriptures. 
And then she says this, and I quote directly. She says, the extremists of both camps can hardly be interested in Jesus himself at all. They merely find him useful to grind an axe on. They would quote from the devil as readily, had the devil in his own proper person ever written a book. <laughs> I love, Joy is so funny. She's insulting the devil when she's talking about the Eighth Commandment. But then she says a really interesting thing. She goes on, she says this, Meanwhile, most churches have always agreed on a Christian and common sense view of property. So familiar that we are in danger of forgetting it. Property is neither sin nor inalienable right, but alone a trust from God. This is at the heart of the eighth commandment. All we own, all of the world in fact, everything is God's. That belief reorients our relationship to our stuff, to our property. It reminds us to remember what we have is a loan from God. It also reminds us that we must honor other people's property. It has been loaned by God to them. So the second question then is, what is implied by this commandment? It means that you should conduct yourself in business in a fair and honest way. You should conduct yourself in business in a fair and honest way. The prophets of the Old Testament continually critiqued dishonest business practices. When people were buying and selling, they would often use silver-weighted weights to judge um, the price of products. Thus, if something was lighter, it was cheaper, and if it was heavier, it was more expensive. Well, there were unscrupulous traders who would often shave down the silver off their weights to make them lighter, or they would re-engineer their scales to make the products more expensive and to dishonestly enrich themselves. Dishonest business people were denounced throughout Scripture, yet honest business women and men were celebrated. Read Proverbs 31 as a great example. Oftentimes, I want you to know that during the week as I'm preparing a sermon, I will ask God for a good sermon anecdote. Unfortunately, God answered my prayer this week. The other day, two young men came to my door offering to put pine straw down in my yard. Now, I looked at my front yard and it was pretty bare and could use it, so we agreed on a per bale price and they started out laying out the pine straw. After about an hour of working, they were wrapping up, and I went out and asked them how many bales they had put down. And the young man says, 368 bales. You could have heard my jaw hit the ground. You could have done my yard and thatched my roof with that much pine straw. I said, there is no way you use that much pine straw. Let's count the cords that you used to wrap the bales, and let's see how many you used. So we sat there counting the individual strands, and we get a little of halfway through, and one of the guys kind of says, well, I, I may have miscounted. Well, we finished counting the ties, and guess how many there were? 175. This guy tried to double charge me. Too bad he didn't know who he was dealing with, a pastor who was studying the Eighth Commandment. The third question. What is the grand positive of the Eighth Commandment? It is that God blesses us with resources so that we can bless others. God blesses us with resources so that we can bless others. 
One of the really fascinating aspects about how God lays out the implications of this commandment for Israel is how wealthy and well-off people are to make provisions for the poor people without land and the stranger and the alien. For instance, in the book of Leviticus, it says that every 50 years, land was supposed to be returned to its original owners. Farmers weren't allowed to maximize profits, but left the corners of their fields to the landless poor so they would have food to eat. Harvesters were supposed to drop sheaves of wheat behind them, and they were left for these gleaners, and grapes were reserved for the poor so they'd have something to eat and something to drink. You were allowed to prosper, but not so much that others were left starving. We are to work hard, to work honestly, but remember those in our community who have not had the opportunities we have had, nor those who have been as blessed. You are blessed to be a blessing. This leads to our ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, I have those three questions I want to use to understand this commandment. First, what truth lies at the heart of this commandment? See, the ninth commandment has to do with about telling the truth. As I mentioned, the commandments are addressed to individuals and to the community at large. And this one, this commandment keeps both in mind. See, this commandment originates in the context of the courts of justice in Israel. It has to do with what witnesses say in court. If you're going to make just decisions, you know you have to be dealing with the truth. In other words, tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. While the ninth commandment does apply to the court system, it also applies to all of life. We are called to tell the truth. Now, in our day and age, this has become maybe one of the most commonly broken commandments. The internet is the place where rumors, downright lies, and slander and gossip have become commonplace. Much of this results because of the way the algorithms work. The bolder the lie, the more the visibility. I remember not too long ago, I received a notification that the actor Morgan Freeman had died. I was devastated. I love Morgan Friedman. I just couldn't believe he was gone. I texted my wife, Courtney, and I said, did you hear? Morgan Freeman has died. And she responded, Jeff, I don't think so. This is an internet rumor that commonly goes around every few years and tricks the naive. She said, you should check Snopes. I was like, ouch. (laughs) And so I did. And as usual, She was right. Morgan Freeman was alive. It's hard to know what the truth is, but we are called to tell the truth. Honestly, more frequently now I'm receiving requests from congregation members saying, is this news story true? I heard this rumor. Is it true? I read this on the internet. I saw this on social media. Is it true? And so I've come up with several suggestions for finding the truth on the internet. First, find the source. Who is telling me this information? Preferably, it should come from a reputable source 
which come from edited content where somebody is responsible for it, then you have to verify the source. Is this actually coming from the place they say it is? Where is it coming from? And then check other sources. This is a principle of Israelite law. In order to establish the truth, you had to have at least two or three witnesses. So therefore, don't get your news from only one source. Diversify. You need two or three witnesses to be able to get at the truth. It's something I think a lot about in the book of James. It says preachers and teachers in the church will be judged more harshly for what they teach. They have a higher standard. In other words, in a world full of lies, make sure you tell the truth. Make sure you're telling the truth. Second, our second question, what else is implied by the commandment? I think there's a question probably in the back of a lot of our minds. Is it ever okay to lie? Augustine in the fourth century and John Calvin later both gave a resounding no to that question. They said it's never okay to lie. God is truth, and so it is always morally wrong to lie. The problem with this is there are numerous figures, especially in the Old Testament, who lie and deceive and are often lifted up as heroes. Abraham and Sarai in Genesis 12, Rebecca and Jacob, Genesis 27, the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, among others. A professor of mine in seminary told me a story about growing up in the Netherlands when it was under Nazi occupation. He told my class one day the story of where a Nazi SS officer came to his home's door and knocked on it. His mom went to the door and the SS officer asked to see his father. Now he knew that his father was hiding up in the attic and he was worried as he huddled around his mom's legs, what is my mom going to say? And she looks in the SS officer's eyes and says, I'm sorry, my husband is not here. He's off at war and he has yet to return. And the SS officer turned and left and they shut the door. And my professor asked us, did my mother do the right thing? He said, I don't know, but I'm sure glad she lied. It's interesting. I believe Dietrich Bonhoeffer gives a good account of what it means to tell the truth. He said he believed it was okay to lie in order to save the lives of Jews. We must ask this question. Is the person I'm talking to entitled to the truth? Is the person I'm talking to entitled to the truth? So if my wife asks why I'm home late and I say I was leading a prayer service when I was really playing golf, not okay to lie. But if a Nazi asks me if I have Jews hiding up in my attic and I lie, that's okay. Telling the truth is important. So if you tell a lie, you better save someone's life with it. <laughs> Number three, what is the grand positive of this commandment? In John 14, Jesus falls into conversation with his disciples. And Thomas, one of his disciples, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is the truth. Jesus reveals to us who God is and God's truth. This is the grand positive. Truth is not an abstract idea. Truth is a person. And that person is for us. God is for us in Jesus Christ. The truth is, even when we break God's commands, God welcomes us back. In the end, stealing and lying will not lead you to the good life. They won't lead you to a flourishing life. Let me tell you what will lead to a flourishing life. The last time in a sermon... Here at RPC, I told that story of my silver dollar getting stolen. Not long after that, a a wonderful couple from RPC made an appointment to come and see me. We spent some time chatting in my office. We were laughing together, and then towards the end of our time together, they mysteriously pull out a bag, and they said, Jeff, we heard your sermon about your silver dollar getting stolen, and we have a little gift for you and for Major. And guess what it was? A 2019 silver dollar. It touched me so much. They blessed me so much with this generous and thoughtful gift. This silver dollar is worth more than all the money in the world. To have someone give you an honest gift expresses their love. It's one of the greatest messages in the world. This is the grand positive of the Ten Commandments that God wants to lead us to a flourishing life and the Ten Commandments show us the way. And this way is the way of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you show us the way in the Ten Commandments. And this way points us to Christ. Points us to a flourishing life. Give us the wisdom and the courage to follow the way you call us down. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.